This Tridio production is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and made possible by you, our listener. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit tridio.com slash donate. Hello and welcome to a new episode of How to Live Like a Hobbit. I'm Father Roderick, your host. And as you can tell by the sounds, I'm walking in the forest here. And you can hear the sound of birds and also some ravens flying overhead. And in the distance there is even some creature barking. I hope it's not a warg. I hope it's a regular dog. (laughs) Because wargs are never good. When they are around, usually the orcs are as well. And I want to have a safe journey today with you. Ooh. You hear that? (laughs) Weird sounds in the distance. The sun has started to set, and so the sky is slowly coloring orange. And so is the forest around me. In this part of the forest, I'm surrounded by pine trees, but in the distance I can see oak trees and other trees with leaves that are turning yellow and orange. You can also smell it. The forest has this very strong autumn smell. And of course, we know that it's the smell of decay. It is nature starting to prepare for the winter. And uh, this bird tells me that I'm right. (laughs) And through the trees in the distance, I can see the golden rays of the evening sunshine. It's really quite beautiful and also quiet here and today I want to talk about a very important element of the journeys of both Bilbo and Frodo the two hobbits that we get to know through the stories of J.R.R. Tolkien and we are on a quest to learn from their experiences and in our last episode we thought and reflected upon adventures and whether or not adventures are something you need or want in your life. It's definitely not something that Bilbo aspires to at the beginning of the story, but it's something that he is thrown into because of this gray wizard that knocks on his door and is looking for someone who can be a burglar for a bunch of dwarves. And almost unwillingly, Bilbo is thrown into this adventure. And then he discovers that there is much more to this little hobbit than he himself had thought. And the dwarves and, 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 and Gandalf discover that too. And that's, of course, the appeal of the story. We see Bilbo grow over time. He discovers that he has much more courage than he thought he had. He's more inventive. And what do you know? He even is a better burglar. <laughs> than he thought he was. (laughs) When Gandalf gave him that mission, that calling, he was the last hobbit in the Shire to probably think that he would be suitable for a job as a, a burglar. But lo and behold, he becomes a very good one. And he's even proud of his accomplishments. But Bilbo's story and his adventure is not just a story of success where everything goes well and smoothly 
Quite on the contrary, the adventure means the end of tranquility. It means he is often facing dangers that he didn't even have nightmares about when he was still living in the Shire. And the importance of these opponents, of these dangerous creatures that he encounters, of these dragons that he has to face, is that without these enemies, without these dangers, Bilbo would have not changed very much. He could have just been himself. Um, but danger in his, during his adventures is an opportunity for him to make choices, to show courage, to find himself, and to discover what he can do when faced with that kind of danger. And because of that, I want to dedicate the next two episodes to these dangers and perhaps to similar dangers or enemies or opponents in our own day-to-day life. After all, we're not doing this merely for the joy of, you know, thinking about Tolkien's stories, but the underlying quest is to figure out what they can teach us for our own lives. Because I believe that Tolkien wrote these stories not just for our entertainment, but also to convey a certain message, or not just one message, but a lot of messages. And in a way, Frodo and Bilbo show us the way, literally. They show us how you can deal with whatever life brings you, whether it is an adventure and an invitation to go on a journey that you didn't plan, that you didn't even want. Whoa, that sounded like a warg. <laughs> Let's hope it's not on my path. <laughs> but uh, it could also be these, these, these dangers, uh, these challenges along the way. They, they show how you can not only overcome them, but how they, these, these encounters can become opportunities for, for growth and for, um, for courage, for, um, let's say, confidence, etc., inventivity. And so in this episode, we're just going to follow Bel- Bilbo and... With him, we'll walk through the, the woods and the open fields, and we may stumble into trolls or goblins or other creatures that are very dangerous. And uh, we'll see what, what Bilbo teaches us, what he, what he does, and what he, where he perhaps fails. And all that can help us reflect upon the, our own challenges in, in life. So, of course, you know that the first big danger that Bilbo encounters is not the fact that he is without his usual, you know, bacon and fried eggs. Although that seems to be on his mind quite a bit. The first big challenge that he faces is the encounter with the trolls. Um, and Tolkien is, is well aware that he's writing a children's story. He started The Hobbit as a story that he wanted to tell his own kids. And it's only afterwards when he wrote The Lord of the Rings trilogy 
that he decided that he had to go back and make some adjustments to make the Hobbit and the narrative of the Hobbit fit in better with the expanded universe that he had created for the Lord of the Rings. Um, but a lot of the original intent of the story and the original tone of the story is still fortunately preserved in The Hobbit, and that's why it's totally often very different from the, the gravitas that you may find in The Lord of the Rings. Um, and so when, when Tolkien describes the trolls, of course trolls are these huge, big, monstery, monster-like uh, creatures, um, he, he tries to tone it down a little bit, to even introduce them in a setting that at first seems very peaceful and comfortable. And uh, you don't immediately see the monsters, no. The first thing that Bilbo sees is a campfire. And I think they're roasting a mutton or something. And so it's a scene that Bilbo is familiar with. Uh, it reminds him perhaps even of uh, his own um, fireplace in, in the Shire and his kitchen where he would prepare delicious food. And the only difference with the Shire is that Bilbo, and he doesn't know it yet, is on the menu together with his dwarven friends. And it's only after having described that very homely uh, scene that Tolkien introduces, introduces us to these three trolls. And even though um, they are quite dangerous, they're made out of stone, they're animated by darkness, and they're incredibly strong and incredibly dangerous, um, they also at the same time make us laugh because of their, you know, banter in, uh, in, 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 in a heavy dialect um, and also with their constant quarreling about how to cook the dwarves and the hobbit they've captured and they're constantly fighting over the quality of the kitchen and so it makes these trolls even though they are real monsters and very dangerous um, still relatable because that's, that's something that we're familiar with cooking and the challenges of preparing a good meal and so um, it's, it's, the threat is still there, but we discover it gradually. Just like I think in our own lives, oftentimes we're not always aware of dangerous situations because it's uh, blatantly dangerous. Um, sometimes a situation at first may actually seem quite safe. And it's only gradually that we'll discover the predicament that we're in and how dangerous the, the situation or the people that we are among uh, truly are. This is definitely something that Bilbo realizes very quickly when they capture him, of course. And that's when he knows that he's in, in big trouble. Um, the, the trolls are caricatures in a way <laughs> they could have been much more dangerous but they're also recognizable in the sense that we definitely have trolls in our own lives in our own experiences and I'm turning the corner here I'm going to walk alongside this field and the skies are beautiful there is this golden sunset right over those pine trees in the distance and uh there are clouds surrounding the sun and they're all lit up. It's a beautiful 
almost a fireworks display and it's totally free this is the this is only available if you go out for a walk if you go on an adventure instead of staying at home this is, this is the point that i tried to make in the previous two episodes <laughs> adventures don't come free you need to start walking you need to go out in nature and that's where oftentimes the world surprises you by its beauty um <laughs> I just hope that I'm not encountering any trolls right now. But I have encountered my share of trolls. And especially um, the, 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 the people in my life that have two characteristics um, that match those of the trolls in, in the Hobbit story. And that is, they're strong and they're dumb. <laughs> and that combination is lethal, which is something that I discovered early on in primary school because of the bullies. And who hasn't had bullies in their lives? I certainly hope that you are. You haven't been one of them. <laughs> But um, many of us have seen, have witnessed what bullies can do and how dangerous they can be. And oftentimes, uh, the the worst ones in my life were. The strong kids that were always good at sports and a lot taller than I was. I was hobbit-sized, and I still am, I think, at least for, you know, in, in general, um, compared to my fellow Dutchmen. They're all super tall, and I'm <laughs> I often feel like Bilbo or Frodo among them. And in school, primary school, it was the same. I was a lot smaller than a lot of the other kids. And then they would be so dumb and never able to to reason instead they wanted to fight uh and i never understood that physicality of of especially certain boys that always wanted to stump you and always wanted to hurt you and and chase you and and steal your marbles and ah oh gosh i really hated that and I, i try to talk myself out of those situations but with some people you can't talk you out of things because they're just not reasoning in the way you do they don't value words <laughs> they just value who is the strongest physically and oftentimes oftentimes the only thing i could do was to run away <laughs> or being beaten up but the story of the trolls in the hobbit definitely reminds me of those bullies and um Well, it's it's a particular type of people that the older you get, the easier it is to avoid them. Because, well, you just don't go to places where you have people that are strong and dumb at the same time. And that may, be, may have a violent nature. And you surround yourself with friends that love to read Tolkien. And I don't know any bully that ever read Tolkien or was interested in Tolkien. Um... And But there is a place where you still, no matter how much you try to steer away from them, where you will still run into trolls, sometimes very dangerous trolls. And that is, of course, in social media and on the Internet. And though we actually call them trolls. That is their nickname. Um, and nickname is probably... A term that is too friendly for these kind of people because they can be toxic, very, very toxic. And what they have in common with the trolls in The Hobbit is that they are 
oftentimes relentless. They're unstoppable. They move like trolls in a sense that they just slap around and and hit people um, verbally, of course. But the, the, the words that they use are not elegant, are not nuanced. Instead, they use words as, as, as fists, and they destroy, they try to destroy anyone in the conversation. And um, those people may try to attack you. Um, they, they can ruin every conversation, even the most polite and civil ones with vitriol. And you will have seen this on Facebook when you know, someone posts a picture and it's about a totally innocent topic and there's nothing controversial about it. And then all of a sudden you get, you get this troll who takes it the wrong way or takes it too literally, has no sense of humor and just starts lashing out and then other people feel threatened. And so they start fighting back and then that feeds the troll. That's the most dangerous thing you can do is to feed the troll because (laughs) that's what we learned from The Hobbit. Feeding the troll always means that you're going to be the victim. (laughs) You're going to be on the menu. And the more you attract their attention, the more vulnerable you become and the more lethal the situation can turn out to be. And I'm, I'm talking about pers- from personal experience um, where in, in some discussions, by the mere fact that I was a priest, uh, that I was talking about certain values in my life, I became an immediate target. It's almost as if they, the scent of, of, of the, the things that I stand for in my life were, was, was enraging them, was... was uh, kind of stimulating their appetite in 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 warfare and and they would come after me and and uh some media it's easier to kind of shut yourself out shut these people out and 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 lock them out but on other more open media like twitter uh anyone who uses your 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 twitter handle can attack you and there is no way to actually hide from that or, or defend yourself from it. The only thing you could do in some, you know, programs that are um, showing you the, the, the tweets is to filter it out. And you can block certain people, but they can still find other ways to attack you and to find you. Because it's a very open place. Twitter is like an open forest where... The attacks can come from anywhere. <laughs> Danger can be lurking behind every tree. I don't think that should be a reason not to use those social media, by the way. Unfortunately, we've seen many victims over time, and it's probably the weakness of Twitter that it is making people so vulnerable and that anyone with a, with a big mouth can display this trollish behavior. And sometimes they can be so vitriolic and so let's say negative and and dangerous that it people will be hurt for life and they might actually go home and not venture any further in the, those twitter woods i hear a bit of yelling in the distance i hope uh, again that this is not goblins <laughs> I, I guess trolls would be a bit uh, would more would have more booming voices it is, I'm in a darker part of the woods, though, so my imagination is, uh, is going wild. 
um, so the the other commonality between the trolls in the story of uh, the Hobbit and internet trolls is how rude they can be. Rudeness seems to be um, coming stemming from the same source as um, their aggressive behavior, which is probably just uh, the inability to empathize with people that they're talking to. What's this noise? What are they yelling? Huh. Weird. Weird. I can't see them. I can just hear them. Yeah, perhaps they're just uh, calling their dogs. Anyway, so um, the rudeness and their inability to reason or to listen to arguments and that the the moment you give them attention and you try to reason with them, you become an even easier prey for them and they will latch on to you just like the the trolls don't let go of the dwarves anymore. Oh my goodness. What a noise. <laughs> I thought I was going for an easy, an easy quiet walk, but instead I've got these these goblins running around and yelling and disturbing the peace of the woods. Oh, there you a bunch of youngsters with their cell phones. Anyway, where was I? So, uh, the rudeness, they keep trying to make you mad, which is also something that um, is uh, the, the, the totally opposite to, to Bilbo's own values. He's very mild-mannered. He's a kind fellow. Um, he doesn't yell. And... Goodness gracious. <laughs> These are regular human beings, but they behave like like orcs <laughs> and goblins. Oh boy, oh boy. Which uh, kind of indicates that Tolkien's world is not that far away from our world. I just passed by some amazing mushrooms. Just a side note here. Beautiful, deep red. Oh, the colors of fall are are uh, really my favorite colors. Um, so what do you do in a situation by that? What can we learn from Bilbo when he's confronted with trolls? Can we apply that even to our life on the internet and in social media? The first thing that strikes me, and that's definitely a, an important lesson for all of us, is that he never, he never responds in the same way as he is being threatened. Of course, that would be unwise, because Bilbo is so small as a hobbit. He's, he's, he's so tiny that the trolls even debate on, you know, whether they should eat him or just catch a few more of them and then put him in a pie, because there's not much meat on the bones. So Bilbo has, of course, no tactical advantage in striking back with the same rudeness. But also, this would be out of character for Bilbo. He is just being polite. The way he addresses them, even though it might be completely useless, is still in a, you know, a very civilized, polite, hobbit way. Um, then, then he goes even beyond that. He offers help. He says, you know, if you don't eat me for dinner, I will prepare you this amazing breakfast. 
And he tries to counter uh, the aggression of the trolls with kindness. And that is something that I think we can try to apply in our own lives. When people go low, you always try to take the high road, even if it doesn't yield any result. Because the reason that you want to stay polite and civil and kind and mild-mannered is because that is who you are. And in a fight, the biggest risk is that you try to be like the, the opponent, that you, because of the danger and kind of like a counter-reaction, you start lashing out as well. But then you lose your, your dignity. It's like in a, in a shouting match. You know, when, when one person begins shouting, our, our initial reflex may be, well, I'm just going to shout back. If that people uses those kind of words, I will just use the same kind of words. But in the process, you become like the one that you despise and that is attacking you. So always take the high road, I think, is a very good um, first line of defense against brutal attacks. The other example that Bilbo gives us to offer help to try to... Um, Somehow he, he puts himself in, in the skin of those trolls and he thinks, what, what do they want? Well, they want good food. Well, I, I can help them with that. And perhaps if I help them, they won't eat me anymore. And I think that's a very smart move. And it's also sometimes not always effective against internet trolls. If you, instead of, of uh, hitting back and lowering yourself to their standards or lack thereof, you offer kindness or assistance. Um, this is something that is often taught in um, companies that have to deal a lot with consumer um, assistance via the internet or via telephone. It's like, what do you do with angry customers? Well, you try to empathize. You, you, you try to... Um, hello. Hello. It's a runner, an evening runner. But I, I was so caught up in my story that I didn't hear him coming. So all of a sudden I hear these footsteps behind me. and <laughs> I'm thinking goblins. Uh, I shouldn't do these scary podcasts late in the evening. <laughs> it's not good for my heart. So um, it, it's to empathize. I understand that you are angry and upset about what happened to you or whatever you perceive that I did to you but how can I how can I help you how can I make you feel better and sometimes that just getting back in a civil polite way can disarm internet trolls uh, I've heard this many times from people that have studied the behavior of these trolls um, that if you get back to them and you reply, oftentimes their, their reaction will be one of total surprise because they have no idea that there is a real person that can be hurt by their words on the other side of the line, on the other end of the line. And it's this, like, trying to make human contact uh, that will actually humanize 
the troll. It's almost as if you, you shed light on trolls in the world of Tolkien and they will turn to stone. You know, they're no longer dangerous. Sometimes kindness can have the same effect on trolls in your own life. If you react with civility and kindness, then sometimes they will just melt in front of your eyes and they may even regret what they did. That happened to me once with someone who attacked me um, via email. This is years and years ago. And that person was, for whatever reason, very upset by something I said or did or didn't do or didn't say. I don't know. I don't even remember. But I just remember that very vicious email. Very, very nasty. Um, that perhaps had an element of truth. That's usually why it hurts the most. When they may have a slight point, but the whole manner in which it was written was so aggressive and so brutal and without any compassion or without even wanting to hear my side of the story that um, that, that person uh, that, that letter just made me feel miserable it was not often that I encountered people who seemed to hate me so much and even though my first initial reaction was to write back and a very upset letter and defending myself, I decided to do something different and write a very short email back. Well, if you think that I'm n not good, that I am failing on so many levels, I would politely ask you to forgive me and to pray for me. <laughs> and uh, that's the last thing I heard of that person, or so I thought. And much, much later... Um, and I had totally forgotten about the incident. I, I received an email out of the blue, that person apologizing and saying how much uh, he regretted having written that letter, but that he was in a very difficult situation in his life, and that I became almost this symbol of whatever was wrong in his life, and I don't know. But anyway, the, the result was that me having been kind, or trying to be kind trying to empathize, even though I did not understand why someone would write such a letter, opened the way for reconciliation so many months or perhaps even years later. And I always remember that as, a, as an example of what Bilbo does in, in The Hobbit, at least what he tries to do, and that is to stay polite and stay kind, because it has much more power than you would think. Unfortunately, in his case... It doesn't help. <laughs> and the trolls still choose to go on with their preparations for a meal that evening. They're so hungry, they don't want to wait for breakfast the next morning. <laughs> and so uh, Bilbo's kindness doesn't have an effect. The um, thing that we see in the trolls' behavior is that they are extremely self-obsessed. Um, and uh, this is also the case for trolls in our own lives. Why are they trolling? It's usually not about you. Their attacks are just an attempt to be seen or heard, to feel powerful, important, influential. And giving them that attention is food for them, especially if it's negative attention, because that gives them a reason to strike even more to be even more angry or unsatisfied with themselves or whatever the reason may be for their behavior 
But the more you feed the troll, the more dangerous he becomes. And um, the more you feed the troll, the more they will also continue to think about other ways to stir up the pot. Um, Just like the trolls keep constantly debating on how to get better food, how to, you know, catch more hobbits to make a pie. Um, And the lesson learned of... uh, So how does this encounter with the trolls ultimately end? It ends with sunrise. And these trolls... it's, It's Actually, it's not Bilbo who defeats the trolls. Not at all. Not even Gandalf. It's ultimately the trolls that are on auto destruct because they are so... Uh, obsessed with their, you know, their quest of, of being fed, that they don't notice the, that it's uh, starting to become morning. Um, and they are quarreling so much that they don't notice the sun rising and, and petrifying them. And um, it, it, it means that uh, sometimes the best way to handle trolls in your life is to get out of their way or to just patiently wait until the sun rises. If you don't do anything, this is, this is something I even learned in primary school with the bullies. If you fight back, they will smack you harder. But if you, <laughs> it's almost if you play dead, you know, if you, if you completely uh, refuse to fight, then it's not interesting for them anymore. And they will go and hunt for other victims and they will leave you alone um, it's, it's by withholding what they crave which is negative attention that you may actually be able to set yourself free because evil or evil behavior has a tendency to destroy itself it does not survive very long this is also true for other enemies that Bilbo will encounter on his journeys. And uh, for Frodo, it's the same thing. Uh, Think of the dragon Schmaug, Saruman, Sauron. They're all extreme evildoers, but they have the same fatal flaw that uh, the trolls display here, which is that they are so self-obsessed that they don't see that ultimately... They are destroying themselves, and they cannot win. Evildoers cannot win. That's also very important in faith. If you read the Bible, which Tolkien was very familiar with, and he took many of the themes, I think, in The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings from his faith, it's this notion that uh, ultimately evil condemns itself. uh, Unless evildoers return to God, convert, change their ways, they will end up condemning and destroying themselves. This is also, I think, a very important theological notion in the sense that we hear in the Bible often about God's judgment. And sometimes we don't get that. It's like, how can God send people to hell? It's a reason for many to not believe in hell. Because there's like, how can that be possible? If God is good, then surely he is able to forgive. Well, of course, God is good. And he would always forgive anyone who asks for forgiveness. No matter how bad the evil is, 
no no uh, no matter how much destruction someone has caused if someone truly repents then god is you know his door is wide open the thing is god cannot force someone to do that and so unless the evildoers repent and turn around they will condemn themselves so the judgment of god is just basically attesting affirming what the evildoers do to themselves and so it's not a god who in, in, in at least in the kind of the christian perception in the especially in the catholic perception god is not a god who arbitrarily says well you go to hell <laughs> you go to heaven um, or i will punish you it's it's evil ultimately if you look closely is 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 destroying itself it's causing its own punishment if you do evil if you do if you walk away from love you will make not only the life of the people around you miserable but you're hurting yourself you're causing pain and suffering in your own life the only way to heal is by choosing not to be evil anymore <laughs> and to to seek forgiveness and to go the 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 way of bilbo of civility of 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 trying to help of um you know kindness but that's of course very difficult for people who have been exercising this power and this evil behavior for so many years that is why um evil is also a bit of a a black hole it can be like a cave where you run into as a, a dragon and you never want to come out anymore because well darkness only seems to um to to lock you down it's very very difficult without help to step away from from the darkness which is something that we will also see later on in this story I'm uh, walking up to a very beautiful area here, which is an open place, um, and it's uh, it's it's got these sand dunes. So it's uh, because of wind and very how'd you say that poor, like not very good uh, fertile ground. Um, that most of the trees here died and then the wind got hold of this area of the forest and then created these sand dunes and it's it's very beautiful there are few trees left they must have very deep roots so now out of the woods stepping into the 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 sand and all of a sudden it feels much much lighter because well the skies are still blue and uh, the sun is not entirely set yet so i'm feeling a little bit better i think uh, it's uh, it feels safer here in this part of the wood <laughs> in this part of the woods um so that would be the lessons learned from um from from the encounter with the trolls now um the next topic that i would like to address here is it's not just by what Bilbo does that he is able to um, overcome his enemies or the challenges that he encounters. 
um, Tolkien introduces the notion of luck. And he calls it luck more, more often than fate. But it's oftentimes completely unmerited that Bilbo finds a way out or that he discovers a solution. And that's weird, because you'd think that in a tale that you tell to teach people about life, um, you want to convey certain values and merits of certain behavior, that luck is the thing you might want to skip, because it makes you feel less important. It makes your actions feel less important. You know, if, if luck is ultimately the thing that helps Bilbo find the you know the solution to the the moon runes for instance that is totally by accident so you know they have this 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 old manuscript and in in Rivendell they are trying to decipher it but the problem is that those texts those letters were written um during a certain phase of the moon a certain hour of the night and they can only become visible again on this very same uh, in, in the very same circumstances when the moon is in the, in the same time of year and has the same phase as when those runes were written well <laughs> by luck they happen to be in Rivendell at that exact moment and exactly when they need to decipher those runes that's when luckily the moon is in the same phase and they are able to read that and if they hadn't been able to decipher those texts they would have never gotten into the mountain and so why does tolkien introduce this luck even when 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 bilbo he could have written the story in a way that bilbo is just outsmarting all his enemies i think it is it's probably because luck points to the the things in life that you you're unable to steer it's it's a bit of a um it's it's imaginary to think that you are able to determine everything in your life um we've we've seen so many examples of of things happening just catching a cold like I had the other week. That's something that you don't plan for. It's not something that you can avoid, ultimately. You, know, you, can, you can try. But, you know, if it happens, it happens. And the same is true with good luck. Sometimes things happen and you're like, oh my gosh, that is so awesome. But I did not plan for that and it's certainly not my merit that this happens. I think what Tolkien wants to convey with that notion of luck is that Bilbo is only partially in control of his life. His adventure is part of something greater. And his, his journey is steered by who knows what? A higher entity... Um, it's, uh, I think it's very, very good that, that Tolkien doesn't elaborate and that he's not going to show us the man behind the curtain. <laughs> but I think that for Tolkien it was very important that his readers understand that your life, your adventure, 
And your journey in life is part of a bigger adventure, a bigger journey. And you are an element in that. But sometimes why things happen escapes you, whether it is the good things that happen or the bad things. It's very tough to walk in this sand, so I'm going to turn to the right here and head to more stable grounds. Because even though I have my walking shoes on, I'm not made for walking in the in the the sand. So, um, and and luck is something that you can either reject or you can just call it coincidence. That is a much more, let's say, neutral description of of the word luck. What I like about luck is is especially when it's good luck. It's got a it's got a positive connotation. Um, bad luck, too. It sounds more personal than coincidence. That coincidence could be randomness, and I think the notion of luck wants to convey this is not happening randomly. It it's part of something that escapes you, something that you may not have grip on, but that may be part of. Um, of something else. I'm not sure if I'm making myself very clear. These are kind of fluid notions. But that higher purpose in life, that bigger plan that Bilbo is involved in, it's kind of like that adventure that just happens to him. And he doesn't, really doesn't understand. Nor did Tolkien, I think, when he was still writing it, what that would entail for the rest of the story. That's, that's the magic of the whole... Um, Genesis story of the of the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings. I think it 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 happened to Tolkien in a certain way as well. Sure, he wrote the story, but the implications and how much that story would apply to our lives, to the adventure of our lives. I think that's only something that that Tolkien discovered while he was writing it. That's that's the mystery of art. It sometimes adds layers that you yourself did not plan for. So perhaps that's also part of, of the luck that we have, that Tolkien started writing this children's story and then was tickled enough to continue writing and all of a sudden we get this epic, epic adventure which continues to enchant generation after generation. So you can ignore it. You can say, oh, it's just coincidence. Or you can embrace it. And in a certain way, trust it, that good things will happen. And also trust that, well, yeah, bad things are going to happen as well that I didn't plan. But we'll figure a way out. Something will happen and I'll come up with something. Um, Fate and luck do never kill free will. That's also another important thing to realize. Um, it's not that when bad things happen, when, when Bilbo gets caught by the goblins in the cave, for instance, that, you know, he's out of control. For a moment he's out of control, but then he can regain control by his decisions. What matters is not bad luck or good luck, and some people seem to have much more good luck than you have, but what matters in life is how you, how you relate to it, how you deal with it. That is what truly forms you. You can have all the luck in the world. 
and still be a miserable human being. And you can be always unlucky and you can always run into trouble. But because of that, because of the way you act when you're confronted with those situations, you may actually become one of the strongest people there are. Because it's your actions, your decisions, that your, your, your spirit that will, that will truly form you. Luck, ultimately, even though it has a very important role in the stories, is, is ultimately unimportant. And I think if, if Tolkien would have written the story with much more bad luck for Bilbo, Bilbo would have found other ways to get through it. And so there is a, an alternation of good luck and bad luck in this story. And sometimes even Bilbo cannot understand why he's in the predicament that he is in. And he's like, ah, oh, I wish I'd never left the Shire. And he has these moments of regret. But it's any, any time that he is able to get past an obstacle, he's able to, to escape his pursuers, that he realizes that he has grown stronger. I think I'm going to turn to the left here. I have no idea where I am. I'm still glad that I can see something, even though the sun is setting quite rapidly now. But uh, this feels like a more friendly part of the, of the woods. I like the sound of the, the birds that are singing their evening song. It's, it's nice. And of course, uh, that brings me to the weather, which also is almost an enemy of Bilbo and, and uh, his company. Uh, just as bad weather is, um, and, and natural circumstances are oftentimes a threat to uh, Frodo's uh, fellowship. And the... The, the, the moment that we, uh, we are confronted with the, one of the worst moments in, in, in Bilbo's journey is that night when they hear uh, these huge stone giants, these almost mythical creatures that are throwing stones at each other. And I love the way that um, they were depicted in Peter Jackson's uh, movie version, the first one, um, amazing because Tolkien hardly describes these creatures. Um, but it's and and it's almost as if are you really looking at two creatures that are hurling stones to rocks to each other, or are these just mountains that are crumbling because of natural causes? It's very very close, um, and I think they did that on purpose in the movie. Um, just as the bad weather, because it is, this, these events symbolize, I think, the dangers of the natural world in which we live, and the violence sometimes of nature that you know can can be a real danger for for people. It it symbolizes also the terror of things that are completely out of your control. We cannot influence the weather. If there's a thunderstorm. You know, there's nothing you can do. The only thing that you can do is hunker down, try to find a cave, even like we see in the story, a cave that you haven't explored properly for potential dangers. But any cave is safer than staying outside in this horrible weather and 
uh, you know, with the risk of being hit mortally by one of those rocks that these stone creatures are, are hurling around. And so um, waiting for things to calm down, or like Frodo in The Lord of the Rings, remember when he's trying to go over the mountains and Saruman, probably Saruman, is influencing the weather and causing these avalanches and everything. And then Gandalf is like the ring bearer has to make the decision what we're going to do. Either we move ahead and we try to survive this or we go through Moria, which, of course, is a very dangerous alternative. And yet Frodo makes a pragmatic choice. If they continue with those snow avalanches, it's certainly going to kill them. So let's go through Moria. That may be dangerous as well, and it turns out to be much more dangerous than anyone expected. But at least it doesn't mean uh, sudden death, an immediate death here in the snowstorm. The lesson I take from that event is that you don't necessarily have to fight every fight that presents itself. Sometimes it's perfectly okay to run away, take an alternative itinerary, hunker down, wait for things to to pass you by. Um, If there is this huge army, Jesus tells this in one of his stories when he says, you know, if you are at the head of an army and there is this enemy approaching you, first thing you do is count your soldiers and your troops. And if you are not as, um, as big as your enemy is, well, you... You are not going to fight. You go and offer peace uh, when you're outnumbered. That's the wise thing to do. And in our lives, it's the same thing. Um, there are certain fights that you just cannot win. And oftentimes our instincts will tell us which, fight, which fights we will probably not win. Um, and then it's, it's okay to say, well, let's not fight here, I offer you peace. It, it may mean that you lose prestige, um, that you have to concede that you're not as strong as you wish you'd be, but it's much better to stay alive and survive and to live another day while admitting at the same time that you are not strong enough yet than heading into the fight or facing you know, huge dangers without any chance that you'll survive or that you'll win the fight. So this may be a bit vague. I'm trying to search for an example. Um, Now, the first thing that comes to mind is sometimes the situation with bullies where they attack you. And oftentimes I knew as a child that I would never win any fight, even though I was uh, doing some martial arts uh, every week. I, you know, I was just a tiny guy, so I could never win. And so I decided to run for it. Well, there is no shame in that, even though it felt horrible to run away from bullies. But at least I, I still had my teeth. <laughs> and the same is true. Um, well, perhaps an, another example would be fights on the Internet. Um, has that occurred occur to you that, or happened to you that you are reading through your timeline and all of a sudden you see this article that someone links to Someone who you thought was your friend and thought the same as you and and, and immediately you sense that it's a totally opposite uh, conviction or or article, totally opposed to your values and 
and then you read it and you become angry and like, this is wrong and then you start typing your replies and you, you you start blogging and trying to convince your other readers that this is the right way to look at that um I don't think I'm telling you anything new that this is happening very often when it is about religion or politics. Those are very dangerous topics on social media. Uh, because of this, um, let's say, the, feel, the false sense of security that, you know, I am sitting here and my, I can type anything I want And so I am just going to engage in this fight. I will tell them what to think and that they're wrong and that I'm right. And we start this fight. And then to our great surprise, the other, pe the other person that had offended us so much was by, with posting the, by, by posting this article in their, on my Facebook timeline, they don't understand. They don't, they don't follow my reasoning. Instead, they, they pretend that They're still right. How can they not understand what I was writing? I mean, it's obvious. Any reasonable person on the Internet would immediately understand after reading what I wrote that I'm right and they are wrong. And so <laughs> if we're not careful, that fight can rob us of sleep, of inner peace, and we become completely adamant at, at winning this fight even though you know, experience should have taught us that those fights are hardly ever uh, a success. Uh, when there is a, a strong uh, difference of opinion, Facebook is not the place where you will convince other people. The only people that you convince are the people that are already on your side. And the only thing that such a battle perhaps may yield is that you feel good about yourself because, well, you know, I showed them. The, the reality is, do you want to spend your time and your resources and your talents on those fights? Perhaps not. It's perfectly okay if you're outnumbered, if you're in a situation where you can't win, to walk away from the fight. To, you know, go to your own happy cave and, and, and let them win. Let them post that stuff you know i don't have to read it and if they change then it's probably going to be because of other reasons than me you know fighting these verbal wars on social media where of course anything you write will evaporate the day after so again it's not even leaving a trace <laughs> and <laughs> you know that there's this cartoon that i saw uh, not so long ago of this person who was, you know, at breakfast, um, hunkering over a cup of coffee and looking horrible. And then uh, the partner of that person is like, so what happened to you? I didn't get any sleep. Why? Someone was wrong on the internet. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that wraps it up for this episode of How to Live Like a Hobbit. Of course, there are many dangerous creatures still ahead of us on our journey alongside Bilbo Baggins. To name but a few, the goblins. Darkness, very, very dangerous. And almost in any situation where Bilbo has to make a choice, there's darkness involved. And Gollum. 
And then, of course, you thought that Gollum would be perhaps the most important enemy, but no, wait, there is more. Spiders. And the dragon himself, Schmaug. And perhaps there is even something more dangerous than the dragon. And if you want to know what that is, I invite you to listen to the next episode. And that is not the sound of a flying dragon. It is a yellow-blue Dutch train that is passing by here on the tracks in front of me. These tracks go straight through the forest. So there we are, back in the real world. (laughs) And I thank you for listening. I, I hope you still enjoy these episodes. So the next one is going to be about uh, goblins, golem, spiders, the dragon, and something even more dangerous than the dragon. Uh, (laughs) Go to tridio.com for uh, previous episodes in case this is the first one that you listen to. Um, Tridio is also the place where you can find all our other shows, Um, And we produce quite a few of them. Almost every day there's something new on Tridio.com. So there's one thing you can do that would make me very happy. And that is not only go to the website, but also follow Tridio on Facebook. Just type in Tridio, T-R-I-D-E-O, and like that page. And even if if you like a page, you know this, right? You can click on that like button later on and tell Facebook that you want to see the posts first. There's another dragon flying by here on my right. The, the, the advantage of selecting that on Facebook is that um, our posts will not get lost in the algorithm. But by telling Facebook that you want to see our posts first, um, they're going to be in your timeline always whenever we post something new. And then finally, um, if you like this show and many other shows, but you don't want to subscribe to every single feed separately, we have a Pokemon feed. That's how I call it. It's the catch-em-all feed. And if you subscribe to that feed, you'll get every single episode that we produce. And as you know, if you like this show, there's a high likeliness that you will like our other shows as well. So go to tridio.com. In the right-hand column, you will see a link to that you know pokemon feed and then you'll be sure to catch all our feeds thank you so much for listening thank you for your time thank you for your support as well i cannot stress how important it is these shows um we we can only make them because of your financial support as well we're doing this with you as a community and so if you are not a sponsor yet i would invite you to check out our donations page on tridio.com because um we really need your help, and we're going to appeal to that help uh, in the upcoming month as well, because we've been doing our calculations, and we haven't done a fund drive for a very, very long time, and we're starting to notice, because our, um, our expenses are much higher um, than um, the, our donations that are coming in, and without your donations, we cannot do this. So if you, if you can support us, I hope you will. So thank you so much in advance. I'm Father Roderick signing off, and I will see you soon in another episode of How to Live Like a Hobbit.